The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Oh, we have some rough sledding. The Fed giveth and the Fed taketh. Market correlations are a big question mark. Running with their hair in the streets? Yeah, that's what we're seeing. And a discussion about Treasury I-bonds. All this and much more on episode number 765 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Well, hey there, and welcome to the May Slop, the Slop Fest we see on Wall Street. Yeah, some say sell in May and, well, you kind of know the rest, right? I mean, maybe. May start out pretty okay, and then things went to hell in a handbasket pretty good. For a couple days, it looked like, wow, you know what? Things are doing pretty well. In fact, wow, maybe this horrible market environment that we saw in April would start to turn. And in fact, there was some good reason why we saw that there was this drawdown in markets during April and the concern about all the things that we've been talking about. So we had a few days of reasonable and calm action, actually a decent bounce before the Fed, into the Fed, right up into the day of the Fed. And then, well, the Fed, interesting development. Hey, listen, uh, if you didn't know, I'm Andrew Horowitz. Thanks for joining me today and each and every week on the Disciplined Investor Podcast, as well as DH Unplugged, where myself and John C. Dvorak get together every Tuesday, and we talk about all things related to finance and markets, and I call it the lighter side of finance. I think about it as a way to look at some of the things that are happening and discover a little bit more about what it all means. You know, on this show, we do a lot about education, information, trying to give you the best ideas and setups for your future. Well, on that show, we go one step further. So make sure you listen to DH Unplugged. You can listen live. We stream it and have a chat room on DH Unplugged on Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern time, as well as, of course, available on your favorite podcast repository, your app or site or place that you go to get your podcast. It's all there, both of these. Make sure to do me a favor. Give us a thumbs up. As they say on the YouTube, you don't give us a thumbs up. <laughs> Tell your friends and uh, write the reviews because I like to know what you're thinking about that. So what was I talking about? Ah, of course, the Fed. Interesting. Yes, they did appear in the conversation when Jay Powell was giving the 2.30 press conference to take 75 basis points off of the table for now. They're also pretty measured. I mean, I thought about when you look at what, what they wrote and the, the commentary, which is basically the same as always, and when Jay Powell got up there, answered questions, and discussed where they are at and the headwinds and the issues and all the things that are going on, I think that this was seen on Wednesday. Just I'm, I'm make sure we, we focus in on this, all right? On Fed Day on Wednesday, the day minus Cinco de Mayo on the 4th, as 
I would say a generally good tone. Some of the things that I was looking for was them to recognize and show us that they are aware of what is happening around the world otherwise. They're not tone deaf to the things that they're that are outside their control. There was no panic. And I think there was a good dose of realism in the discussion. And when the comment came up that, hey, you know, right now 75 basis points is really not in the discussion with the other Fed members, Marcus said, well, that's good news. Now, you see how sensitive markets are to rates. Rates before that were ticking above 3%, knocked down a little bit, ever so slightly, still held right below the 3% level. And the U.S. dollar dropped pretty well on the notion that the U.S. data is slowing and because the Fed may be more patient or at least not as aggressive. And that was all until it unraveled a day later. Less than 24 hours later, things got crazy. In fact, what was really interesting about that was it wasn't in the overnight markets. It wasn't in the pre-market futures. The spark turned somewhere at about, I don't know, right at the open. Investors said, the hell with this. Maybe he didn't say 75 base points, but I think he really meant it. Or maybe he means that he's going to go much more aggressively at 50 basis points a clip. I don't know. But what we're seeing right now is definitely the sign of the times where bonds cannot get a bid. And what that means is when we're seeing that bonds can't get a bid, even the safety trade going for fixed income in the most secure asset of the world, as they say, in the U.S. Treasury, is not getting a bid when markets are selling off dramatically. That is concerning. And, of course, a lot of that is due to the fact that the Fed isn't buying anymore. They talked about that as well, that they're going to start the, the runoff of their asset, of their balance sheet at $45 billion per month, revving it up to $95 billion a month. Why do they get the – they can't just do 50 and 100 I don't know. It's like JCPenney sale where you have to buy things at $6.88 all the time. Remember those days? Or $1.95, not $2. Or $16.99 because it's not $17. So they're rolling off – 45 billion and 95 billion, maybe in a sign to, to try to say, oh, it's not all that. Silliness. But in a market that the the that we can't get the safety trade, whether it's gold or Bitcoin to a degree, or uh silver for that matter, or bonds, or the US dollar turning around dramatically on the news when the Fed was talking and how we had a significant decline in the U.S. dollar on Wednesday, on Fed Day, as they were talking. And then all of a sudden what happened the next day when the Bank of England increased their interest rates and their currency dropped 2%. The pound dropped 2% against the dollar. And all of a sudden the dollar starts screaming higher again. Even though we're seeing that other places are increasing, the only safety play right now seems to be, as crazy as it seems, the U.S. dollar. They're not buying stocks. They're not buying bonds. They're not buying gold. They're, they're, right now, as I talked about last week to a degree, the idea that correlations are shot to hell, that's a big problem. And people are out there I don't know, they're running around with their hair on fire, it seems, in, in the streets. It, it, it appears to me, this is figuratively, of course, of course, uh, that a lot of them are, 
are setting their hair on fire by themselves and running around for attention. Maybe that's why they're doing it. And they're setting in motion this horrific chain of events that is feeding on itself, just like we've seen in other market situations. Remember what I've talked about in the past, the idea, and you have to really understand this, the idea of confidence. And where we are right now is in a period that there's very little confidence, whether it's obviously a day later after the Fed had seemingly soothed some investor concern, the day later there is a sell-off like we saw and the bonds kept on going higher, there's a lack of confidence in this saying, you know what, Fed, you know what? We think you're full of it. We think you're in la-la land. We don't believe that you're really going to take 75 basis points off of the table. The, the truth of the matter is that there is a significant amount of, uh, or a lack of, um, uh, there's a lack of, I would say, uh, credibility. That's the right word, credibility. For the Fed right now, they waited too long. They were wrong about transitory. Now they're doing this. They say they're not going to have to raise 75 basis points, but maybe they are. Lack of credibility. They screwed themselves royally here. And now for the first time in a while, I mean, we saw this to a degree not too long ago, but, but this week I saw some panic going on, both sides, panic buying and panic selling. I saw the panic buying, the short covering, although it was broad-based and it was not just the most shorted positions out there happening on on Wednesday, the day of the Fed meeting. And it's, as again, I, said, I mentioned starting on Monday, things, things were actually doing okay. But here we are all of a sudden now in a situation where this definite panic is palpable. It's, it's just, when you see the kind of moves that we are seeing right now on stocks that maybe missed, that just get obliterated after they've already been down 30, 40, 50%, or maybe when you see that there is a significant amount of movement in um, or lack of movement of buying where they're selling everything. Or, in fact, they're not necessarily selling everything. What they're doing is they're just not buying. There's no support. There's no support whatsoever in any risk asset, no matter how, I would say, quote-unquote, safe it is for long-term, right? Why, why there's no bond buying going on, why they're allowing rates to move up substantially. We're going to talk about actually one risk-free asset in a minute that I've gotten a lot of questions on. I want you to listen to this and stay tuned for this because, well, okay, I'll give you the, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do a little tease. How about that? Yearly 9.6%. That's all. Not saying another word about it. But I have been receiving a lot of uh, questions about this. I bought some for myself this week. So uh, we'll talk about this in a second. So, one of the things that that happened this week, I was doing a lot of research and reading on all sorts of areas about where valuations are, where we're we going. And like I said, if you really, if you step back for a second, because I, I think a lot of people are asking, like, why now? Why all of a sudden? What's happening? I think there was a lack of belief that the war would cause problems and that it would continue. I think there was a um, lack of concern and just totally shunning the idea that inflation will stick around for a long period of time, hurting things, and that bond yields will go up so dramatically. I think there was a lack of belief and even understanding that 
there is a possibility that we are going to have a technical recession over the next few months. Now, all of this is part and parcel of the economic cycle. I can't tell you this any more than I've been telling you this. I know it sounds terrible and it's a cop out and it's ridiculous, but we have, first of all, the economic cycle is alive and well. There's no question about that. The idea that we broke the cycle because the Fed thinks, once the Fed does this every time, it ends really horribly, that they can control the economic cycle and get rid of the peak to trough concept, the expansion and, and growth into recession and contraction, it's absolutely nonsense because human nature is involved in all that. And what happens is that human nature takes its toll. It goes too far one way and the other way. And I want you to remember that sentence right there. It goes too far one way and too far the other way. So here we are in a market that most people under the age of 40 have never had any experience with. The market that I'm talking about is in an increasing interest rate environment with a sustained amount of, of uh, inflation on prices with the idea that there isn't an implicit Fed put on bonds and on rates. And I was reading this commentary this week in particular, and this analyst was concerned about all sorts of things. Talked about headwinds, all the things we're talking about. That's the thing, uh, that's, that's the item that I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning, that if we look at all the things, there's all of a sudden a belief factor in all the bad. There was none to begin with, nothing had ever happened. Nothing had ever happened bad. Then it was like, oh, mm, ouch, there's some things out there. But okay. And now we're a full bore. Oh, my God, it's never going to get better. Happens very quickly. Happens very, very quickly. And in this commentary, talked about this analyst about, you know, rates and saying that, we're going to see corrections continue and rolling corrections in times of good and bad, but generally speaking, lower prices overall. But the punchline was not selling any stocks, not selling anything. At first, I was, wasn't quite sure what to make of that. You're not selling? Okay, I get it. Long term, depending on the portfolio you're managing. And I started thinking about that. There's a few interesting points in that for a moment. And I found it really interesting because I am all inclined to look at opportunities on both sides of the equation, right? But lately, the risk has been pretty much slant, uh, sloped to the, to the upside, or the down, I should say the downside, I should say. But the problem you have is that there is such chaos going on right now in terms of prices that you want to look for, I would say, in this environment, every environment is different, right? In this environment, Good quality fundamentals underlying. But the problem with that is, at the same time, is that, well, what if fundamentals don't matter? What if you're looking at fundamentals and names that are really hard to sell that are doing well on a, a, a on fundamental basis? They have good earnings and all that. And, and, and you're in an environment that... Because of what is read, told, facts, uh, reality, whatever you want to call it, right, is that there is a, a less willingness to pay up for 
future earnings. Or said a different way, multiple compression. So we had multiple multiples that were expanding dramatically where everybody's like, ah, you know what? We can't even do anything with a price to earnings, so let's just go to a price to sales. Uh, let's go to a, a price to eyeballs, you know, crazy stuff like that. You know things are really weird and you stay away from that for a long time. But now what's happening, the quality stuff is getting lumped in. Okay. It's understandable. But what, what he discussed was something that actually I thought was really interesting because it's something that we've been doing for a while. It's this barbell approach to investing, right? This idea that you have your best on both ends that give you some diversification. The core is thinned out in the middle. There's different ways to look at this. The barbells for bonds are different. And I'm talking about conceptually thinking about areas like, for example, on one side, I want some decent inflation protection and I want to have um, opportunities that are, let's say, um, in line with lower risk overall. And there's a whole variety of things we talk about there. And then on the other side, I want to have things that have pricing power, good earnings, quality. And in the center, I don't really want to get rid of a lot of things. I'm thinking long term on my portfolio, maybe. And I will just reduce down the exposure to certain areas. So, so for example, uh, maybe add stocks or asset price that have pricing power. I mentioned that, right? So energy is an example in this kind of environment especially what's going on today. So what we have done for a while now is have a tilt or a slant or a slope, whatever you want to call it, or an over, over, um, a, a, a over allocation towards domestic equity positions within the energy, the financials, and to a degree, the staples, as opposed to technology, healthcare, biotech, consumer discretionary. Right. So that in itself gives me some comfort in that. And if you look at the numbers, they, they, it's, it, that is working. When you have the large cap, particularly exposure bent towards energy, that has been a really great play. Or when I say energy, that's value. That's been a great play this year. Now, on a relative basis, we can sit here all day long and say, you know, on a relative basis, we are really doing very well in that area because, uh, well, it's down 4% on the value. Pick your date this last week or so for the year to date. And uh, it's down 18% year to date in the growth or thereabouts, give or take, depending on the day, right? And that's great on a relative discussion. I think I mentioned to somebody on the phone this week, I said, you know, relative discussions are hard because are we happy that only my uh, my my living room was burned down in a fire where the rest of the neighborhood was totally destroyed. And I'm like, oh, good news. The living room burnt down. How happy am I? Well, because I look at everybody else, it could have been a lot worse. All right, that's a bit of a cop-out, but I get it. There are times in the market you need to take your lumps. That is the fact. There is not going to be a straight line that is always moving higher, that is absolutely going to be all good times all the time. We know that. And you have to set yourself up for that. That's fine. And the thing that you talk about, the barbells, like I said, on one side, maybe having tips, treasury inflation, protected securities, short-term duration bonds. You want to have some commodities possibly for that asset, uh, that protection mechanism, right? And then what you have on the other side is maybe stocks that that have a good positioning that you want to be in. And in between all that, what do you have? In between all that, you have a situation where you are um, 
maybe thinned out a little bit and, and less, so less growth, as I mentioned that earlier, less equity allocation entirely. So that's the positioning, basically, where we are in terms of our global allocations. We've been there for a while, so that's it's good. It's really good on a relative basis. On an absolute basis, things aren't so great, right? You know, you get some losses during this period of time. Nothing that is so substantial that is a problem, but what it does is it gives you the opportunity to start to think about, hey, when does value come back here and when, if, when, doesn't have to be today or tomorrow, it could be in a month from now, five months from now, when can I start moving that back to the norm and, and taking that barbell, the two barbells on each end and spreading it towards the middle? That's really the power of utilizing some something like that as a concept. And at the same time, it doesn't get you so spooked out because you're not taking mortal losses in any portfolio. And the same thing we're doing with our TDI managed growth strategy. I mean, these are all equities. So equities are getting hit, but we have an overabundance of energy-related names. Big positioning in energy in that portfolio. Overweight in that um, is... is it's been good, but again, you know, you have these other things happening in the portfolio because it's just reacting. Even though we have great fundamentals because we've run these screens really tough, well, you know what? It doesn't really matter necessarily. You're going to get market returns on some of that. And uh, even though we have a the other end, which is the other barbell in that portfolio, is our safety valve, is our larger position in cash. Do a little trading within there, but generally speaking, it goes right back to cash. And that is 20%, give or take, 20% cash. So you have a large position in cash. You have a larger position in, uh, in energy in there, for example. So on the other side, if you want to be fully diversified, not equity-oriented, more mutual funds and ETFs, take that look and barbell it. Because one of the things you don't want to do, I've seen this before, if you are a long-term investor, if you are looking at you know, 10 years from now, even five years to a degree, five, 10 years from the future, 20 years, 30 years. The worst thing is to try to time. I've done it. Listen, I've been doing this since 87. Timing's difficult. Now, trading's different. There's a little bit of a different method there with charting and technical analysis. You know, charting from the gut, very difficult process where I tell you, you're not going to do so well. I've seen it. I've seen all the big names try to do it over the years. I mean, look, this is a bad tape. It's an unforgiving tape. It's an unforgiving market. It's unraveling in some areas as well. Not all. But there is um, really nowhere to hide right now unless you want to, again, try to this market timing thing, which I don't really um, see that as, as working. But, you know, you, you have to recognize that the five-year, the seven-year, the 10-year, the 30-year are all above uh, a 3% right now. They're all above 3%. So... When you look at when that has happened the last time, I think it was back in 2018. And before that was September of 2008. Now, let's not get crazy. Look at those dates and say, oh, my God. I mean, we've done most of the damage already that we could see. Now, are, are we going to see a 2008 kind of implosion? Why would that be? Is the financial system going to come unraveled entirely? Banks are much better capitalized. We don't got that issue. Technology over the top, yes, there's a big part of the market that is that. Is that going to necessarily hurt everybody who owns a home? The fact is, if your home price came down by 10 or 15 or even 20%, someone who's bought a home in the last three years, you're still fine. So I can understand why the analogs are being drawn between those dates, but 
it's also unlocking some really good value in areas of the market. So think about that. I want to talk about these, um, these treasury I-bonds because a lot of people have been asking me this question about these I-bonds, these treasury-issued I-bonds, which is different than TIPS. But uh, because I've been getting so many questions, I thought, well, you know what? We're going to go right to the source. I have some things direct from Treasury Direct. And I want to go through this because I did some research on that. I mentioned I got these this week. This is not an advertisement. Uh, but uh, yield currently uh, north of 9.6. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. So this is direct information from Treasury Direct, actually. You can go there yourself and find this information, treasurydirect.gov, or just do a search for I-bonds or treasury I-bonds. You'll find all the information there. I'm going to go through this because I think it's important to understand what these are all about and give you some insights. Now, there's a lot more details that you really need to go and find on your own to make sure this is an appropriate investment. But here are some of the basic points that you really need to understand. First of all, as I mentioned, as they note, the initial interest rate on the Series I savings bond is 9.62%. And you can buy a total of $10,000 for each person, maximum. $10,000 maximum per person. And that is good through October 22nd. Now, before you get crazy on me here for a second, and before you're like, oh my God, I got to do this. Remember that every six months, the interest rate will change. They will post an adjustment and a new number dependent on what the CPIU is. The CPI basically is in the market at that point. And when you look at where you are at that point, if in fact it's at, I don't know, 5%, well, you may get that for the next period of six months. So every six months, this can in fact change. What they talk about on the website is you can use, and this is directly from what they have. So when you read it, you're like, hey, Harvard just said that because I'm reading what they have here. I-bonds are utilized to save in a low-risk product and help you protect your savings from inflation. That's the number one thing. Supplement your retirement income, give as a gift, pay for education. So essentially what this is, is a treasury. It's issued by the full faith and credit of the U.S., which uh, depending on who you are and what you're thinking, that may be good or bad. But it's a saving bond that earns interest rate based on a combination of two major points. One is the guaranteed rate that they put on the bond itself and add to that the additional inflation rate on top of that. So let's get through this right now. Basically, as we know what's going on at this exact moment, as I'm saying this, the interest rate on the bond, the underlying guaranteed rate is a whopping 0%. Even if it moves up slightly, it's relatively low, like 0.01 maybe. Now, what you get on top of that is the inflation. So you get a combination of the fixed rate that stays the same for the life of the bond and an inflation rate that is set twice a year for bonds issued from May 2022 through October of 2022. The combined rate is 9.62%, meaning the inflationary rate they're giving you is 9.62% and zero for the base rate. Taxability, it is taxable on the federal level. For those of you that may have state and local taxes, this is not taxable at the state and local level. So uh, interesting to 
look at that. Also, there could be some benefits if you use this for educational planning because some of the earnings over the years may be, uh, you, may, you may avoid tax on the federal level on that. You can buy these either through paper or electronic. Usually people are going to go right to the Treasury Direct, set up an account. It's an easy process to, to do. Then what you do is you link your bank account and you buy. Okay, minimum purchase electronic is $25, paper is $50. I'm really not going to talk about the paper side of things for a moment. I'm assuming you'll probably set up a Treasury Direct account, direct on the web, on the line, as they say. Uh, and uh, you look at it there where you have a maximum purchases of $10,000 total for each calendar year. So, for example, I bought $10,000 for myself and I bought $10,000 for my wife. You can buy $10,000 for your kids, your grandfather, whoever you want, doesn't matter as long as they don't have their own under their social. You can set up an account under each of your social security numbers and uh, buy that way. And uh, again, essentially you can buy any amount from twenty-five dollars to $10,000. Now here's where it gets interesting. This is the kicker. Where is the other side? You're asking, Horowitz, what am I missing here? Well, what you're missing is there are some rules on how long you have to keep this in order to get the most out of it. So... In these I-bonds, you're going to earn interest for 30 years. So you're going to get that baseline, remember, zero for 30 years. Basically like a zero coupon under that part. Unless you cash them in first, of course. You can cash them after one year. You have to hold for a year. But if you cash them before five years, so you have to hold them for one year. If you cash them anytime before five years, you lose the previous three months of interest. For example, if you... Cash an I-bond after 18 months, right? So you're, you're past the one year, but less than the five years. You get the first 15 months of interest. Hopefully that makes sense right there. Now, you have to buy these direct. You can't buy these through your broker. You're not going to be able to do so. You're not going to really be able to buy them in an IRA necessarily, right? You can't do that. So what you can do is... Um, Cash them in anytime after 12 months. not a problem. You receive the original purchase price plus interest earnings. And to be clear, I-bonds are meant for longer-term investments. Because if you redeem it after uh, after the one year, but before the five years, you're going to lose a chunk of the interest, okay? Now, what's also interesting is that you probably have all done this already, which is file your taxes and gotten a tax return for some of you that may have happened already. Well, and we'll see if this happens next year. I want you to keep this in mind. You can overfund your taxes in your withholding. You're working or whether you're doing estimates, you can overfund the amount of money that you're putting away in order to get a refund at the end of the year or when you're filing your taxes. Why, why in the world would you do such a crazy thing like that? Well, one of the things you do with this is that you can buy up to another total of $5,000 in paper series with your fr- with your refund. So any unused amount of your refund can be sent to you in a paper check, or you can elect to have the remaining refund deposited directly into the account of your choice. So therefore, you have uh, the ability to obviously get a refund and up to $5,000 in paper series I savings bonds. Kind of interesting. Now, you do buy the I-savings bonds with after-tax money. That's important to recognize, right? The savings compounds technically tax-free. Now, listen to this. 
until you cash it in, and 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 at that point, you take all the ordinary income tax on the gain. So let's say that ten years goes by and you're making three percent a year because that's what the interest rate is with combined with inflation, and you got an average of three percent. You're not paying. You don't have to. You can opt not to pay taxes the entire time till sometime in the future. So the I bond is like a non-deductible IRA versus a Roth, of course, or versus regular. Regular IRA, you can tax deduct the money that you put in there. And what happens is you go into the account, tax deferred, you take it out, you pay the full tax on it, right? On a Roth IRA, you don't get a tax deduction on it. The money goes in, grows tax deferred. You take it out without any tax implications. A non-deductible IRA is such that you do not deduct it. It grows tax deferred. When you take it out, you pay taxes. Similar to an annuity. That's what this does as well. The I-bond is like a non-deductible IRA because you technically don't have to pay the taxes on the gain, the growth, the interest on it on a yearly basis until such time as you sell it in the future. However... A lot of caveats here because it's the government we're working with here. However, you could, if you wanted to, for whatever reason, choose to report the interest each and every year. You could do that. And once you start to report the interest every year, you must continue to do so every year after that for all your savings bonds and any that you acquire in the future or that you acquired. So... You have to think about if you have any to begin with, are you actually paying taxes and do you choose to? Uh, if you're just starting off with these I-bonds and you decide for whatever reason that you're going to pay the taxes each and every year as it accrues or as it gains, if it does gain off the zero level. Uh, now, there may be a question, by the way. I'm going to I'm gonna bring this to the end. I want to hold, uh, hold this question on the side, put a little paper clip on it, a little thumbtack in it, a little sticky note. What about if interest rates go negative? That could happen. Inflation could, or deflation, deflation. What happens? We'll talk about that in a second. So there's tax implications that you need to know about. There's limitations of how much you could deposit and buy each and every year. So you buy it, and then what you want to probably do is figure out such time in the future that you know when you're going to buy it. Put a, a tickler there, put a calendar item that you could buy more if you want in the future, if you decide to do so. You can hold it for as long as you want, but at least a minimum of 12 months to get any kind of interest paid. And five years if you don't want to lose the last three months of interest. It is federally taxable, but not state or local. Um, or And it's also exempt from federal, um, but not state or local, any federal gift tax, et cetera. Well, we know about that. But basically, what we want to look at here is the fact that this is another alternative directly outside of maybe what you're doing that you can pop some money in. And if inflation persists, even at a 2% rate, 3% rate, not an unreasonable way to put some money aside. And it's very easy to do. Very easy process to set up. And uh, with all the understanding and the knowledge, the insight, the disclaimers, the disclosures, all the things that I talked about, and there's probably a few more that I want you to go to Treasury Direct and look at before you do anything, because it's not a recommendation. 
right? These are, I'm a security guy. I'm a registered investment advisor and start getting the regulators crazy when I start making absolute recommendations. Eh, something for you to look at is what I'm talking about here. Take a look at these. I think they really hold some very interesting opportunities if you're looking and you just don't want to be necessarily, maybe you don't want to be fully in the markets. You have money sitting on the side. You want to maybe plan for something in the future. You think inflation is going to be there. Why not do something like this? At least you have the opportunity to stay with inflation. Because if you buy a bond that's a 2% rate of return bond and inflation runs at 4%, you're running at a negative 2% real rate of return. At least here, you're going to get whatever the inflation rate is or not. Unfortunately, it's only at $10,000. I mean, can you imagine if there's a lot more? That'd be great. But you could have been buying them for, for a period here. Each six months, every six months, they do, in fact, change as well. So there you go. Um, you got this. This I'm just going to state this one more time and uh, offer this up to you and mention that it's a fixed rate of return. Remains the same throughout the life of the, of, of the I-bond. Uh, has a variable inflation rate twice a year as well. That's based on the consumer price index for all urban consumers for all items, including food and energy for March compared with the CPA for September of the same year and then September with March the following year. So now the, uh, looping back here to the question of what happens if there's a negative interest rate based on what inflation or in that case deflation is. Because I would think that if we're seeing this hot inflation, we may see some negative sides to this in the future. The principle is always secure. You do not lose the principle on this. They can't nick you on that. So just uh, remember that uh, where, where you are um, with that point. And, and uh, these are guaranteed. So again, but, but I, do your own research on this. Take a look at what's going on with regard to how it works, where it works, what you could do, who you could set it up with. Again, you can't necessarily do it in a brokerage account but you can do it directly with uh, Treasury Direct. So cool stuff. Uh, a lot, of, Seriously, a lot of people have been writing about this. I think once you saw that 9.62%, people were like, hello, you know, what's that? How do I get, how do we get me some of that? So there you go. I think it's time we move over to something. And I know I pulled out the book, as I call it, the book, which is The Disciplined Investor. Essential Strategies for Success. And if you haven't seen it, yes, I have this 1980s bushy mustache that's going on that all sorts of people make fun of me for. But it was thing at the time. It was back in 2007, 8. You know, and I had a mustache. What are you going to say? Bottom line, a lot of these went out last week to people who ask questions in the Ask Andrew section. We, remember I said we were going to do a random drawing. And I think, uh, I don't know, we sent out about 25 or so, something like that. Uh, books and... and uh, Hopefully everybody appreciates that. But there is a there is a section in this book. And again, you can get this on Audible at Amazon. It's uh, an audiobook. You're about to get it in audiobook right now <laughs> to a degree. But as you go through this and we go through the fundamental analysis that we talked about earlier, some technical analysis, things that are going on, risk management. And it's chapter five. And it starts out with the discussion of, as we discussed in chapter one, understanding your risk tolerance is a big step toward obtaining financial security. Understanding the emotions that you may go through during market instability will allow you to set up appropriate insurance policies, quote, end quote, helping to save your portfolio from the devastating effects of a crash or even a downstroke or a correction. That right there, 
that paragraph really encapsulates so much because what it is doing is setting you up to make sure that you don't make bad decisions with your portfolio. Because if you can understand your risk tolerance, you can set up what the levels of risk you have and understand, okay, what's the worst case scenario here? Now, I'm talking to the investors, not the traders. The traders we talk about in a different show. But right now, I'm talking to the, to the investors and looking about all this that was going on, the headlines back, 1987, October 20th. Headline, stocks plunge 508 points amid panicky selling. From the Houston Secretary, Julie uh, Iannotti, a hard-won retirement nest egg suddenly looked like very much in peril. I'm scared, she told the reporter. Should I sell? Tell me, should I sell? All right, lots of that, right? Forbes magazine ran a similar one back on October 19th with stomach-twisting day, a day for Wall Street and the nation. In a single trading day, the Dow Jones Industrial dropped 508 points. A $480 billion of market value was expunged. The euphoria of a five-year bull market was shattered. All right. Okay. So what are we talking about here? We're talking about this, this nasty one-day action. We saw some of that over the last several weeks as well. But, the, but as you go through this chapter and you talk about this idea of setting yourself up, looking to the future and not allowing some of the interim activity to bother you, you get to this idea of, of market timing, which I alluded to earlier in the discussion. And there's a definition here. Very simple and I think very easy to understand definition of what is market timing. It's trying to buy or sell investments and or enter or exit the market at the right time by anticipating when prices are going to rise and fall. And then I follow up by saying the important word to focus on in the above definition is trying. It describes the process of market timing pretty well here. Trying has a dual meaning. First, it refers to trying to find the optimal time to buy or sell a stock. Second, it refers to the realization of how trying, different way of using the word, the experiences. And again, there's a difference between using charts and directional trends and hedging, perhaps, and other ideas. And the idea of market timing is a top right now, it's a bottom right now. There are ways, I do, and you've, you've seen me on Twitter do it. You've seen me on Twitter say, you know what? We are oversold. Is it time to think about, you know, what am I going to do here? Or we're overbought and pointing out that things are a little bit frothy. Because with market timing, you need to, you need to hit it right on the button. Pretty much nail it in order to really make the right moves. Because if you don't, you get stopped out at the wrong prices. And, uh, you know, this week, for example, tried to look at the opportunity of an overbought market condition on bonds into the Fed meeting, and we added a position of long bonds, which is down somewhere like 28% year-to-date, and said, you know, if the Fed comes in a little bit lighter, less aggressive, there's opportunity for the bond market to be, well, more gentle, less upside. And a lot of people who are on that side of the boat are going to get hurt. But at the same time, realizing that, you know, the trend is still directionally higher for TLT or 
higher yields, we'll call it. Higher yields, but lower uh, lower prices. Therefore, TLT is a problem. So, you know, let's just take a position and put a very tight uh, stop on it, a relatively tight stop, so it doesn't get away from us. So what happened was that the Fed comes out, and actually the dollar dropped down very significantly. The bond prices did not move very much. So far, so good. But still, with all of this, had a rule that if it breaks this price, done, out. We're not going to be following this anymore. So what happened? Well, lo and behold, last week comes around, and we start moving back up a day after. And the price starts to move significantly and breached the level of support. Again, tight. Didn't want to get it, let it get away from us. Where the yield on the 10-year started creeping past 3%, very significantly, and took out the position. Now, would, would we enter that in the future? Possibly. But that was a very selective, not, um, it, it was a market timing, but it wasn't an all or nothing. It was a smaller piece of the portfolio. Market timing a lot of times refers to this idea that you're in, you're out. You're in, you're out. Or you're in, you're short, you're out. However you want to deal with that. But really, the most basic is, hey, I'm going to be uh, all in. 100% of my investment is going to be in Qs or an SPY. Something like that, right? And when you look at the market timing, it's like, okay, we are out. We're in or out. And that's where the problem comes in. When you start thinking about working around your current positions, it's a different animal. It's now to a point directionally either hedging or looking for alpha, looking for opportunity, or, or even looking for that uh, capitulation to a point where things are overdone and seemingly need to to reverse. Anyway, I thought it was I thought that would be something to to talk about and uh, get into with you with regard to the idea of market timing, risk management, especially right now. Hopefully, you're not freaking out too much. You're not pulling your hair out, setting it on fire, running around the streets right now, like a lot of people are. With what's going on, again, many people that are new to this have not seen anything like this before. I've been there. I can tell you, we set portfolios up a year ago to weather some storms. Now, when when you weather a storm, it doesn't mean you don't get wet. It doesn't mean that your hair is going to stay perfectly aligned with when you just left the beauty shop. You may get a little windblown. You may get wet. And in fact, you may uh, fall down. But the difference is not getting totally drowned by a storm that is approaching figuratively in your portfolio. Our portfolios have been significantly lower in risk compared to where we think a normalized, let's say moderate risk portfolio is. We're talking about a severely cut down equity position in portfolios. Still doesn't feel very good, but going into what we saw starting in November and even in last year with the aberrations in valuations, something was not right. And with that, you need to adjust. Now, I'll share with you at the same time, on the other hand, our managed growth strategy has a pretty significant position in equities. I've talked about the buffer before that we have. 
what's really interesting is I don't see that changing right now. What's happening is a re-rating rather than a change in the fundamentals. We have more stocks coming through, which is really a good sign of earnings capacity and capability, earnings power into the future. And you know what? It's paid off in the, in the past. We'll see what happens this time right now with what's going on in the markets. So there you go. Hey, listen, a couple of things. You have questions? Do you have questions? Concerns? You're freaking out? You're upset? Your hair falling out? Don't let that happen. Please do not freak out. It is nothing more than a, 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 a market cycle right now that could last a while. That's okay. But it does reveal great opportunities. When the, when the low tide comes in, you can see the pearls and the jewels at the bottom of the ocean much better. You can also see the, the used condoms and the broken glass beer bottles too. You got to pick through that though. You got to find the things that you want when they all start really appearing very clear. You need to go over to the Discipline Investor. If you want to ask me a question, you can do so. Very easy. I invite you to do so. Go over to the disciplinedinvestor.com. And what I want you to do is go over to the Ask Andrew section. Click on it. Very easy to do. Just take your mouse, move it up, click, and then ask me a question. It comes right into us right here. We'll figure out what to do, how to answer your question, either put it on the air or answer you directly on anything that you have. And please don't ask, when's the market going to go up next again? Because obviously that's not something we could really help you with. Until next week, I thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you around the corner. Enjoy your May. Enjoy the Kentucky Derby uh, weekend. And I'll see you again soon. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.